It is certainly a privilege to be able to uh, come this morning. Jim Sandine, Jim asked me to take communion this Sunday. I said, Jim, I like when you lead communion. He said, well, I can't be here that Sunday. So I said, yeah, I would. And he said, maybe you'd speak on communion. I thought, well, that's interesting. I'm not sure. I'm sure I have. I've spoken on the passages, but I'm not sure I ever just spoke on communion. So what I want to do this morning is go through uh, just some very, it might be very basic to you. You may have known this for a long time, but just to look at communion through, this, through the scriptures, why we do it, uh, the, the background of communion, uh, some of the pictures that Christ used to speak to his disciples. As we read in uh, as Dick read, the disciples were lost after the, re after the crucifixion. They had hoped for so much and felt like it was not going to, could never happen. And uh, they were disheartened. They were weak. And uh, Christ joined them, but they didn't recognize him. Their eyes were close to him. And uh, as he walked with them, he just shared from the scriptures. I'm sure some of the things of the background of communion he shared with them. So they could see and understand. And, uh, but they still didn't recognize him until they talked him into coming in and eating with them. He was going to go on and leave them. And as they sat down to eat together, he took the initiative to break the bread for them and uh, to share the cup. And suddenly their eyes were open, Scripture says. Isn't that a beautiful passage? Suddenly their eyes were opened. I pray that as we come around this table today that our eyes were opened to the presence of Christ. I don't know what you've walked through this week to get here. Uh, I know some of you have been through some hard things. But uh, I pray that your eyes are uh, open uh, in the recognition that Christ is with you through it and that there is hope where you didn't see any sometimes. And that was literal for the disciples, wasn't it, at this time? So where would you look in the Bible for the uh, Lord's Supper, the Last Supper, as we call it? Because it was the Last Supper before he went to the cross with his disciples, wasn't it? Where would you look, do you think, if you wanted to look up some of the Scripture passages? Anyone got an idea? In the Gospels, that'd be a good idea. Will you look at the beginning or at the end of your Gospels? Towards the end of your Gospel, wouldn't you? Towards the, the crucifixion story, and that's where you would look. And you could, you could look in all the Gospels, and uh, we'll talk about that some more. But let's just, uh, again, have the Scriptures up, and we'll remind ourselves as we look through the Gospels. Now, we're a few today. It's Canada Day, Canada Day weekend. It's, it's Stampede in Pinocchio, and a lot of our people have been serving 
since five o'clock. I know some of them were up to help with the breakfast and things. Praise God. And the cowboy church is, has probably almost closed now. Praise God for that witness too. And we're glad to be here today. So uh, if we could have, our, our, is the uh, overhead, oh yeah. We'll look first at uh, Matthew, the first gospel, eh? And see what Matthew says about the Lord's table. While they were eating, Jesus took bread, and then when he had given thanks, this is in almost all the readings. Communion is about thanks, thanks, thankfulness. In Greek, it's Eucharist. That's why in some traditions, they call it having Eucharist together. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples saying, take and eat, this is my body. Then he took the cup, and when he had given thanks again, he gave it to them saying, drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink from this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it anew with you in my Father's kingdom. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. You'll see how we kind of follow along in some of that. And sometimes we sing the hymn right after. I loved, uh, I want to thank the, the music team this morning. Uh, again, your selection, the Holy Spirit was working. You almost preached the whole message in those songs you chose. And we sang them together. And let's look at Mark. Each of the Gospels has their own perspective and mostly the same, but there's some interesting differences. While they were eating, Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take it, this is my body. Then he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank from it. This is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many, he said to them. Truly I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it anew in the kingdom of God. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. And let's look at Luke too. Luke's a little different. Uh, and we'll talk about that later. When the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table, and he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. After taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among you. For I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And the next slide. And he took bread and gave thanks and broke it and gave it to them saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is a new covenant in my blood which is poured out for you. It's interesting. We have different cups mentioned in Luke. Whereas Matthew and Mark had only told us the one cup after the supper. 
we'll come back to that again later. Now, you'll search at the end of John's gospel, and, and you'll, you'll, you'll struggle to find the communion as we have it in the other gospels, and we wonder about that. We think it's probably because uh, John knew what the other gospels had already written, and uh, he didn't re necessarily repeat it. But he did give us something that is really quite interesting. And he does mention in John 6, which we'll see later, almost exactly the same information about the bread as we read before. But he does give us something that's an addition that the others didn't, rem didn't remember to tell us. It was just before Passover festival, Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave the world and to go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. This is, a, I didn't include it, but this is almost mentioned in all the other gospel accounts too, before the actual Lord's Saber table, that at this meal, there was both elements all the time. And there was the element of betrayal as well as the element of confusion. The affirmation really came only later, as we read in the Emmaus Road. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. And the next... After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around them. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, You do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you will never wash my feet. Jesus answered, Unless I wash you. You have no part with me. Have we got one more on that? Yeah, we do. Then, Lord, Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean. And you are clean, though not every one of you, for he knew who was going to betray him. And that was why he said not everyone was clean. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I've done for you, he asked them. And the next one. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I've done for you. Very truly I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. And the next slide, too. Later on in that same passage, he says, A new command I give you. Love one another as I have loved you so you must love one another. 
By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So the communion is a time of renewing our love for the Lord, but also our love for each other, and we'll look at that some more. Have any of you ever been at a foot washing? Have you ever experienced that or, or washed someone's feet in, the, in, in this uh, ritual way? Some of you have? Yes. Good. We, we hardly do it anymore, but, you know, it wouldn't hurt us to wash each other's feet. Oh, it would be a big deal for our normal church service, wouldn't it? Today wouldn't be too hard because it, not too many of us, but when it was a big deal. But, you know, Sharon and I, one of the biggest blessings of our time in India when we were able to go and, and encourage pastors and wives there with workshops and things, only one time were we able to meet outside of the hospital compound with the SOAR group because in, they were in Arissa, and it was uh, the, the government of India does not like um, missionaries uh, coming to the tribal people. And the Sores were hill tribal people. And so we, when we did meet with their pastors, we would meet only in the hospital compound, a hospital that years ago we helped establish, but now is all in the hands of the Indian uh, doctors and administrators. In fact, the administrator who was at the hospital in Sarango when we were there is coming to speak to us in August. We're the only church that get him, uh, C.J. Raju, and he's C.P. Raju, and he's coming uh, partly because he's got a daughter in Prince George who is get, uh, getting quite serious, I think, with the boy, and they're coming to check this boy out. She, the daughter came over and has done her dental hygiene and is working in Prince George. And uh, so uh, it, it's an exciting time. And they're all going to come through, and we get him. We're the only church. So it's, uh, in, it'll be the first Sunday in August. So, and he'll be able to report, because he's now the um, uh, coordinator of CBM in India, uh, sharing way work. So it'll be a real special Sunday, so we're looking forward to that. But to get back to my story about foot washing, this year, uh, a few years before we quit going, we were able to meet with the sore people themselves. And they had a, a service that began with communion on the hillside, just outdoors, and they'd been coming all night, some of them, to gather. There were thousands there. <laughs> on the hillside. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm getting old. <laughs> but it was a, one of the most special times we had with the brothers and sisters in India. And when we arrived, they took us to wash our feet as they had washed everyone's feet as they arrived at this festival. And it is a heartwarming thing. It is a heartwarming thing to have your foot, feet washed, especially in a hot climate. Even though we had come from the luxury of showers and things, we still had sandals on, and it is, it is, a, it is a, a special symbol of our servant Lord <laughs> and his call to us. So it's a part of the communion service, and whenever we come together in communion, we should re, uh, even if we don't do it, we should think about it. We should think about the service that the Lord has made and done for us.
um, in Paul, we have one more uh, remembrance. Paul remembers communion. This is the one that we are most familiar with in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. I think it's, yeah, here it is. In the following directives, now Paul gives us a little more, I've included a little bit more what Paul says because it's some things we need to think about. In the following directives, I have praise for you. I have no praise for you, for your meetings do more harm than good. In the first place, I hear that unless, that when you come together as a church, there are divisions among you. Remember, we just read about our love for Christ needing to be a unity, a uniting of us. And to some extent, I believe it, Paul says. No doubt there have been differences among you to show which of you have God's approval. So then when you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper you eat. Next slide. For when you are eating, some of you go ahead with your own private suppers. So it must have been kind of a love feast, we think. And they each brought, our, like our potluck, eh? Only they ate their pot. They ate their own pot, even though they came together to eat with others. We don't do it that way, do we? For when you are eating, some of you go ahead with your own private supper. So as a result, one person remains hungry and another gets drunk. <laughs> don't you have homes to eat and drink in? Or you do you despise the church of God by humiliating those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you? Certainly not in this matter. For I have received from the Lord what I also passed on to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And the next slide. Okay. I thought maybe we had more there, but I think we'll come back to more. We'll just hold Exodus for a minute. So eating and drinking worthily, Paul goes on to speak about that, and, and we will look at that for a minute too. But first I want to give a little background then to the Lord's table that probably we all recognize, but just to remind us, this wasn't something new that Jesus was making up. This was a tradition that looked forward to him and he was wanting in these, this Last Supper to help his disciples understand the days that were going to come for them. And his place, his place in this tradition. It was a shocking meal for the disciples. He said things that they had never associated with the Lord's Supper before. And they must have come out of there really thinking a lot but not as shocking as it was going to be when he went to the cross for them. The, the first thing I want to look at in the background is that this was the Passover meal. 
This was a traditional meal that Jesus was having with his disciples, a traditional Jewish worship time in which he wanted, and he says I, he eagerly was waiting to set, set this meal with them. Like he's waited all his ministry almost, like I've been waiting to share this special meal with you. And the Passover story, as you know, is the story of the Hebrews being freed from Egypt, from slavery in Egypt, and the whole story of the uh, trip from Egypt through the desert as they wandered for two generations before they came, were able to come into the promise, promised land. So the Passover reference that I've used here, you could find many, but one of the main is Exodus 12. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in Egypt, this month is to be for you the first month, the first month of your year. Tell the whole community of Israel that on the 10th day of this month, each man is to take a lamb for his family, one for each household. If any household is too small for a whole lamb, they must share one with their nearest neighbor, having taken into account the number of people there are. You are to, to determine the amount of lamb needed in accordance with what each person will eat. And the next slide. The animals you choose must be year-old males without defect. And you may take them from the sheep or the goats. Take care of them until the 14th day of the month when all the members of the community of Israel must slaughter them at twilight. Then they are to take some of the blood and put it on the sides and tops of the door frames of the houses where they eat the lambs. That same night they are to eat the meat roasted over the fire along with bitter herbs and bread made without yeast. Do not eat the meat raw or boiled in water, but roast it over a fire with the head, legs, and internal organs. Do not leave any of it till morning. If some is left till morning, you must burn it. This is how you, to eat, you are to eat it, with your cloak tucked into your belt, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. In other words, be ready to go when you when you have the Passover meal. Eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. On that same night, I will pass through Egypt and strike down every firstborn of both people and animals, and I will bring judgment on all the gods of Egypt. I am the Lord. Do we have one more frame on that? Next frame. The blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you are, and when I see the blood, I will pass over you. No destructive plague will touch you when I strike Egypt. This is the day you are to commemorate for the generations to come. You shall celebrate it as a festival to the Lord, a lasting ordinance. For the seven days you are to eat bread made without yeast. On the seventh day, remove the yeast from your houses. For whoever eats anything with yeast in it from the first day through the seventh must be cut off from Israel. Is there one more slide? I don't know. Go ahead. Yeah, we'll hold the John slide for a minute. So the Passover meal, and this was the meal they were to eat together 
as for generations they had. And Jesus took that meal and applied it in new ways and special ways to himself. The first element of the Passover meal that I want to look at, perhaps the most important, is the Passover lamb. And you saw how they, he was to be, the lamb was to be prepared. When Jesus came in, into the world and John the Baptist saw him coming, the forerunner of Jesus, John the Baptist looked up and said, the same day John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. So Jesus is that Lamb of God very early in Scripture. He fulfills that, uh, that hope uh, that they've been looked together all these years before in the Passover meal. The next slide. John, or excuse me, Paul has to speak to the Corinthians some more because they were kind of like us and they didn't always get it right. He says, your boasting is not good. He's talking about uh, eating food, food that is served to idols here in 1 Corinthians 5. And he says, your boasting is not good. Don't you know the little yeast leavens the whole batch? Get rid of of the old yeast so that you may be a new unleavened batch as you really are. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Therefore, let us keep the festival not with the old bread leavened with malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. One part that we sometimes skip over nowadays in the Lord's table is coming in preparation. And it's so interesting that the, the preparation is not all our good works we've done, although we do them to the Lord, but that isn't what gets us to the meal. The preparation is a contrite heart, a heart that seeks sincerity and truth before God and before our, our fellow man. And Paul goes on to speak about that some more in 1 Corinthians 11. The next slide, I think, will bring that up. So then, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink from the cup. For those who do not who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ, eat and drink judgment on themselves. Is there another slide? Keep going. For that is why many among you are weak and sick, and a number of you have fallen asleep. But if we were more discerning with regard to ourselves, we would not come under such judgment. Nevertheless, when we are judged in this way by the Lord, we are being disciplined so that we will not be finally condemned with the world. The Lord's discipline over us. So as we come to eat, is there one more slide on that? Maybe I better go ahead. Uh, 
Yeah, we'll just hold this slide for a minute. But when we come together to eat, we, we often have a time of reflection, and I didn't do that today. But it is good to have a time of reflection and recognize the ways in which we have perhaps dishonored the Lord in our attitudes or our actions before we come. For when we come to this table, we come recognizing that we don't know it all and that we don't have it all together. But we come with a heart that is contrite and open to God to heal and to give us grace and to touch us and raise us anew. And uh, this table then is not really about us, but we need to be aware of our, of our need of him. The table is about him and what he's done for us. Thank you, Lord. The bread is the next element I want to think about. Uh, the, the Passover lamb was the first element, and the blood of the lamb, you know. We'll talk about that with the cup, but the bread is the first, the next element. In the Jewish Passover meal, it's a flat bread. It's an unleavened bread, as we read. It's a, a mitzvah, I think it's called. It's, it's a, maybe some of you have had it. It's kind of a cracker. Uh, they did that because they had to be ready to go, and they didn't necessarily have time for the bread to rise. So the Lord told them to use the unleavened. It's a symbol of being ready to go and serve our Lord. And uh, we, after years, our tradition has passed that we've used bread that is more common to us. And nowadays, we often use, and I think our bread, I should have said this morning, is, uh, was gluten-free, but I should, have, I should have announced that, sorry. We, we do do that now for people here, too. We, as we eat in our home meals, they are little captions of the Lord's table. We often, we should eat in thanks. When we break bread, we should be reminded of the Lord. It's not just a church on Sunday. We have an opportunity to give thanks each time we come to the table in our homes, too. But Jesus took up the bread, the scriptures told us, and broke it, and he said to the disciples, this is my body. Now, was this part of the Passover celebration? Was this what they were expecting? No. <laughs> this doesn't fit in the Passover meal. This was totally new to them, and it must have shocked them deeply. And it must have helped them later when they realized as he went to the cross for them, this is my body that is given for you. Jesus made this beautiful picture right before them to help them come to faith uh, later when they were able to accept it and realize what he was saying. This is my body has been disputed among denominations for years. What is meant by that? And some of you may come from a Catholic background where it was thought that it was transubstantiation where the body actually becomes the blood and uh, the bread actually becomes the body and uh, the blood, the blood of Christ. Um, our tradition has not taken it that way. 
they, the, that tradition would say that it, it remains the appearance of uh, wine and bread, but it actually becomes. Our tradition would say that Jesus is using here more of a symbol, but not just a mere symbol. And I want us to think about that for a moment. Uh, when he says, this is my body, there is a deeper truth in that. Uh, when we look at uh, John's gospel, especially gives us um, a number of the I am statements of Jesus. And I think that's the best way to look at this phrase. Um, Jesus gives us his I am statements. I think the... Yeah, the next slide. Maybe I, uh, I should just, just hold in your mind. We'll come back to the I am statements, but I, I see that I, I skipped a, a scripture I would like just to share with you about being prepared as we come to the table. This is 1 Corinthians 10 again. Therefore, my dear friends, flee from idolatry. I speak to sensible people. Judge for yourselves what I say. Is not the cup of thanksgiving for which we give thanks a participation in the blood of Christ? And is not the bread that we break a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one loaf, we who are many are one body, for we all share the same loaf. Bread is a beautiful picture of the commu communion, the unity that Paul wants in this church. And the next slide. Coming back to Jesus' I am statements in the Gospel of John, one of the ones we probably know the best is John 14, 6. Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. Uh, he could say that, just like I am the bread. This bread is my body. I am the life. And again, we have many of the I am statements of John, but we'll just look at another one. When Jesus spake again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Praise God. And another I am statement, I think. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. He's the living water. He's the bread of life. The, he, is, he does become these things. It's not just a mere symbol, but he, he is these things for us. Yet it is bread and cup. You explain it to me. But uh, the church has thought about that for many, many, many times. So I want to speak a few moments on the cup. We've been looking at the cup all the way along. We notice that in um, uh, the cup, of course, was wine. They would serve sometimes wine uh, with some water with it. Uh, we use grape juice just to honor those who struggle with alcoholism so that we don't give them a hard time. Same as we 
with our bread, tried to use uh, gluten-free bread. We, but uh, your, your tradition might be a little different, but this is the tradition we've had for many years. Uh, we noticed that the Luke position had some interesting things about the cup. So let's go to the next slide. It's, that, that is going on that he is the bread of life. I should have read that slide before. Ver, verse, ver, verse 47, very truly I tell you, the one who believes in me has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your ancestors are the manna, ate the manna in the wilderness, yet they died. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, and when anyone may eat of it and not die, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats of this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I gave for you for the life of the world. Yes, praise God. Next slide. Then the Jews began to argue sharply among themselves. How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Jesus said to them, Very truly I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. For my flesh is real food, and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me, and I in them. Uh, this, this was a hard teaching for them to receive at that time. Next slide, too. And that's, th that slide just reminded me that John, while he maybe didn't include the part of the Lord's table the others did, he spoke of Jesus' flesh and blood and its ministry to us. Just as the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. For this is the bread that came down from heaven. Your ancestors ate manna and died, but whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Praise God. Next slide. Now, we come here to Luke, and I said Luke had some interesting things about the cup, didn't it? Remember, he said to them in verse uh, 35, is it? My glasses with all these lights. <laughs> uh, anyways, he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover before you. I suffer, for I tell you, and not eat it again in the kingdom until the, it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. After taking the cup, he said thanks and said, Take this and divide among you, for I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And then next slide. He took the bread, gave thanks, and broke it, gave it to them, saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup. Hmm, I thought we just had the cup. Here we got another cup, haven't we? 
saying, this cup is a new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you, just as the other versions had it. What Luke is doing here is Luke is including more of the meal together than the others did. And uh, in the uh, Jewish uh, Passover meal, there were actually four cups. It depended on some traditions, but they all had special meaning. And uh, as they shared these cups uh, at different parts of the meal, they, they would be reminded. And Jesus used these cups to be reminded the disciples who he was and what he was going to do. So the next slide. Therefore say to the Israelites, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being uh, slaves to them. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. I will take you as my own people, and I will be your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. You notice in, the, in that passage, and I think this is one of the best passages to explain the cups, he says, I am the Lord, I will bring you out. I will free you. I will take you as my own people. I missed one when I went through that. <laughs> I will bring you out. I will deliver you. I will redeem you. I will take you. I will bring you out the cup of rescue. I will deliver you the cup of deliverance. I will redeem you the cup of redemption. And I will take you the cup of his presence. And in the tradition of the uh, Passover, that's what they always remembered. Jesus took the cup after supper, either the redemption cup or the presence he was taking. We have a little, we're not sure about that, but it, 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 they, they both fit so well. He took that cup after supper. That was an important description. He was telling the disciples that the redemption came through him, his presence with them, in a way that they could not understand at that time because they were looking for another totally different redemption. They didn't understand what Christ was doing. There is a fifth cup that sometimes in the Passover they use. It's called the Elijah cup, who is to be the forerunner to Jesus. And we already know that Jesus said that John the Baptist was the forerunner uh, that was referred to there. The next scripture, I think, will give us that. The next, yeah, Matthew 17. Then the disciples understood that he was talking to them about John the Baptist. So it's neat. Even the Jewish Passover had that look forward that the Messiah would be coming. There's another part of this fourth cup and the presence of God with us. I will take you, he said. Th that is such a precious truth. Uh, and Jesus was making a reference there, we think, to the Jewish wedding. And after the vows uh, were uh, shared and in the Jewish wedding, you know, under the tent that they had, he would, the, the groom would take, a, would take a cup and he would drink from that cup and offer it to his bride. And his bride, if she drank from that cup, was sealing 
their covenant together to be husband and wife. And when we think of Christ saying, take this cup, he says he drank from it, he offered it to disciples and saying, divide it among yourselves and drink from this cup. That was part of the picture he was giving them, which was going way beyond what they normally expected in the Passover meal. <laughs> Jesus was giving them another truth here, that he wanted that kind of oneness with them, that two becoming one flesh, that we have so beautifully pictured in marriage, eh? And Jesus was looking at the church as his, uh, his bride, and he, he said, he took from the cup and he offers it to us today. So when we take the cup, it's a sealing of our covenant, of our covenant of love with our Lord, our, 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 our servant Lord. It's a taking of that very cup today. Uh, we talked about the Passover meal. One other part of the, of the tradition here that I want to bring out is the, the covenant and uh, if I don't hurry up, I'm going to be worse than Pastor Paul. You poor people, we're all kind of grieving here, aren't we? This is one of those Sundays. We're grieving a lot of our people who are away, but we're, it's the first Sunday we have without Paul as our lead pastor. And it's been for so many years that we all kind of are having a hiccup. And Paul is such a great teacher. And we're going to miss him dearly. And, uh, but I'm getting almost as long, and I didn't want to do that. But anyways, I, I want to look for a minute at the, the, the idea of the covenant. Uh, if we go to the next slide. He took the cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. And the next slide. In the same way in Luke, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is a new covenant. This time we have a little different, a little more explained. This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. In the Old Testament, there's only two places where blood and covenant come together that Jesus was drawing on. And we'll go to the next slide. In Exodus uh, 24, 8, we have, Moses took the cup, sprinkled it on the people, and said, this is the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with these words. So this was part of the sacrificial system and the sprinkling of blood on the people. And that's part of the reference Jesus is making there. And then in Zechariah chapter 9, the next slide. Rejoice greatly, daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. See your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the fowl of a donkey. All of this is so pregnant in describing Jesus, isn't it? But written hundreds of years before. I will take away the chariots from Ephraim and the war horses from Jerusalem and the battle bow will be broken. He will, this one will proclaim peace to the nations. His rule will extend from sea to sea 
and from the river to the ends of the earth. Yes, the one who, who will come. Um, again, the, the reference of, uh, to blood and covenant coming together. Uh, and we, we now realize that new covenant that he, Jesus was saying he's inaugurating in his blood. And just as the old covenant of sacrifice, now we have the new covenant in Christ's blood. This new covenant is a wonderful hope that we have. Next slide. Well, I, yes, and I did. I, I missed this. In Zechariah, as for you, because of the blood of my covenant with you, see, blood and covenant together again, I will free your prisoners from the waterless pit. Praise God. And we, the two prisoners from the waterless pit in the Old Testament, who's the reference to? Anyone got an idea? Well, we're in a hurry. Jeremiah and... Who's the other one? I stumped myself. Pardon? Joseph, right? He got thrown in the waterless pit too, didn't he? So those two are in there. Good, good going. Yeah, thank you. Um, but the new covenant, Jeremiah 31, such beautiful passage, eh? one of my favorite passages, the next covenant. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. It'll be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to send them out of Egypt because they broke my covenant, though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. See, always way back, he wanted to have that relationship of knowing them, of a husband to a wife, that oneness, he, that's in the ordination of God for us. He wants to know us in that way. Isn't that a beautiful picture? Keep going here. This is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, Know the Lord. Because they will all know me from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. I will forgive their wickedness and remember their sins no more. Praise God. So when Jesus takes up and he says, this is the, my new, the new covenant in my blood. This whole rich message is coming through to us. He's making a new covenant. And it must have startled the disciples, and it needs to startle us once in a while. He was looking forward to this day. The, the third uh, I wanted to talk about was the Father's kingdom. Almost every reference of the Lord's table speaks of a coming kingdom. And uh, I'm going to just have to flip through this. Again, uh, we have many scriptures, some scriptures I was going to share with you, but I don't have time to share. Uh, in Matthew, 
he speaks of the Father's kingdom. In Mark, he speaks in the kingdom of God. In Luke, he says, until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. In Luke 22, it's 18, it says, until the kingdom of God comes. And Paul said simply, until he comes. So when we come together and have the communion service, we are looking forward to a new day. We've seen how he says, eat this in remembrance of me. We're looking back and in remembrance, but we're also anticipating. Every time we eat this meal together, we are anticipating a, a new day, a, a new heaven and a new earth when the kingdom of God comes. When we say the Lord's Prayer together, don't we? We pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What a wonderful hope, eh? That we are reminded we look forward to. And here Jesus is promising that he is going, that is going to come. Yeah, we may live in despair sometimes. We may be confused as the disciples will soon be, terribly confused. But he wants to open our eyes as he did with the disciples along the road to Emmaus and remind us that he is coming again and that there will be a new heaven and a new earth when he comes. I hope I haven't closed your eyes this morning. <laughs> Probably some of you are tired. Maybe you've been doing lots of things. But I hope all of us can have our eyes opened again to seeing the Lord among us every time we share this meal, even though we only do it once a month, and to be reminded of how he completed the whole march of the Old Testament and the Passover and how he calls us to look forward to going in his strength and with his glory. You know, this meal and the next few days transformed the disciples when they looked back on it. Literally, I love that phrase in the Emmaus Road, they had their eyes opened. <laughs> they could see Jesus among them. This transformed them. They went from this meal, from this experience uh, after the resurrection of Christ and remembering what he was teaching them, and they found in his spirit a new power to take the message uh, unto the ends of the earth, and it's still going today when we, when we gather together. We are part of that. We are part of that serving our servant Lord to take his message to the world, a world who needs to know his forgiveness and his hope in our lives just as much as any world does. So thank you for patiently bearing with me, and there is so much we could do with... Um, Communion. We, we hardly have touched the surface, but I hope that what I've done today does help open all of our eyes. Lord, come. Come anew to all of us and help us, Lord, to uh, experience you afresh and anew in our lives. May your kingdom come in my life. Help me by the grace in your spirit to live it out. May our church live out your oneness as we travel into this new time. And uh, Lord, yeah, we, we need you. It's not about us. It's about you. It's you we serve. In Jesus' name, amen.
I think we have one more hymn to sing. As they sang a hymn and went out, let's sing the hymn and we'll go out.